Amen. We have been on a series, and we'll be on this series for a year, if not more. And the Spirit of God put it in my heart last fall, and then Dr. Gant was here, and what he ministered just set, set us up for the year and confirmed in my heart that we need to discover and learn our spiritual inheritance And then we need to appreciate and appropriate our spiritual inheritance. Amen. So what I'm going to have you do, would you put that up, please? I want you to stand up. Because I I really believe, you know, the Word of God deserves us, deserves our uh, attention, and and, and God is a God of integrity. And we owe Him that much to, to really reveal our love and appreciation for the Word. So, if you don't know who you are today, how many of you, raise your hands if you don't know who you are. We're gonna, I'm going to tell you who you are. So, I want to go through this, and I want us to confess this. Will you read this? And There's a few scriptures here. It'll take a, a minute or two. 1 John 1, 12, let's say it together. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, To those who believe in His name. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and that children and heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. For you are all sons of God (coughs) through faith in Christ Jesus. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So that's who we are. Now, what do we have? Let's look at these scriptures. In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, this is your responsibility and my responsibility in regards to our spiritual inheritance. What are we to do? Number one, glean wise counsel, gain knowledge, guard your spiritual inheritance, grow your spiritual inheritance, and give away your spiritual inheritance. Amen? You may be seated. Now, I gave you those those five things, and I told you when we started this, those five, glean, gain, guard, grow, and give, you can apply to a natural inheritance. So if you came into a a windfall, a great financial inheritance, you could do these five things. You should do these five things. So what's glean mean? 
Let's, let's apply it to the spiritual side now, not the, the financial side. But where are you going to glean wisdom from? The Word of God and specifically, what else? The church, fellowship, what else? Your five, the fivefold ministry gifts. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. So these are people, these are gifts, you know, that 3% that can help you discover who, who you are in Christ. And then we're going to gain what? Knowledge. If you, if you had a financial windfall, you've you got to get some knowledge. Amen? But if you're going to gain knowledge, what do you and I have to do? Paul told Timothy to study to show himself approved. A workman. Everyone say work. You're going to have to work at gaining knowledge. Then number three, how do you guard your spiritual, spiritual inheritance? You remember? You renew your mind to the word, and then you confess who you are. That's why we're going to do a lot of confessing of the word this year. Then we need, we're on today, we're going to talk about growing your spiritual inheritance. Why should you and I grow our inheritance or become wise to be a blessing and to give to others? Amen? So that's our goal. Years and years ago, I was probably... 19 or 20 years old, I've always had a great love and appreciation for history. And I was an American picker back then before American Pickers was even on TV. You know who I am? But I'm a, I'm a uh, preacher picker. And, and I'm so thankful. I struggled for a long time in my early years in ministry because I had some ministers say you should never do anything besides, you know, be a preacher and, and get all your, your salary from that. Well, back then, I didn't get much salary. You remember those days? And so I had to do something. And I had a passion, and God put a passion in me. Even before, you know, I was young. I was a teenager. I'd dig for bottles. I'd look for treasure. I loved it. And one time, and we're talking about inheritance, I had, she was a mayor of, of uh, Fairbury, where I'm from, and her daughter was in my, my class, and I think she always thought she and I were going to get together, and, but we never did. It wasn't meant to be. But she said, Mike, I, I, I've been on, I don't know what she would have called her position, but her family was one of the original settlers to Fairbury. And this was a three-story mansion. It's gone now. And uh, there was one relative left, but she was senile, and she couldn't run the estate, so they had to take the estate, and they had power of attorney. And she says, Mike, you can go into that place and get whatever you want. And so I bought a three-quarter ton pickup, and I went there. But the only thing was my buddies and I, we would go at night. And we walked into this. You couldn't walk into the mansion because these people were hoarders. We literally walked on three feet of accumulation from the 1800s. And there were rats and there were lots of scary things, but we had our flashlights and we'd go at night because the descendant lived next door and she was an old woman and I'll remember she had a tooth here and a tooth here. She was scary. And we'd go in at night and we'd dig through all that stuff. Oh my God, it was fun. Oh, we'd load the truck up, and 
One time we took the clawfoot bathtub from the second story and drug it all the way down, and I brought it to my house, and my mother said, why are you bringing that? She, I won't tell you what she said. Why are you bringing that stuff home? But the one thing that I remember, and the only thing that I have from all that treasure that I got is this book. And it's a holy Bible, and it's dated, it's signed and autographed from 1878. You talk about, yeah, I had an inheritance, and it's physical stuff, and it's all gone. It doesn't mean anything. But this lives on. This is my spiritual, true spiritual inheritance. And I've got that on my bookcase, and I remember that. Amen. Sometimes in the antique world, you can get greedy. A lot of greedy antique dealers. And I have to remember what my true inheritance is. So we want to grow our inheritance. Say, I want to grow my spiritual inheritance. Now, I wonder... I don't know how far we'll get today. We'll unhook here and and, uh, go a ways. But I want you to understand that spiritual growth is God's will. Spiritual, that's so much, you know how much he amens, but it's wonderful to have a preacher down on the front. I can just pull from him. Amen. But God expects us to grow. We're all at different levels here, folks. We got young people and older people and middle-aged people. Amen. But God expects you and I to grow up. Ephesians 4:14. This is the message translation. It says, "No prolonged infancies among us, please. Will not tolerate babes in the woods, small children who are an easy mark for imposters. God wants you to grow up to know the whole truth and tell it in love like Christ in everything." Now, how many were here last week? Raise your hand. Okay, we'll see if you remember this. What danger does a child face according to the scripture that I just read? What? Deceit. Being deceived. A little child, you can take advantage of a little child, can't you? And I also gave you scripture, Matthew 24, and it talks about signs of the last days. And do you remember what level of spirituality will the body of Christ be in the last days? Do you remember? Children. That'll be why? Because if you're a child, you can be easily deceived. Say, I'm not going to be deceived. First Peter two, verse two says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Now, I'm going to read to you again from Hebrews in chapter 5. Should you stay on the milk all the time? I don't know. I'm not. Anybody here a vegetarian? Not in Nebraska. But we got to go on from milk to what? Meat. The Message Bible says, I have a lot more to say about this, but it's hard to get it across to you since you picked up this bad habit of not listening. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves, yet here I find you need someone to sit down with you and go over the basics on God again, starting from square one, baby's milk, when you should have been on solid food long ago. Milk is for beginners. 
inexperienced in God ways, God's ways. Solid food is for the mature who have some practice in telling right from wrong. See, as you grow up, you should know right from wrong, shouldn't you? So come on, let's leave the preschool finger-painting exercises on Christ and get on with the grand work of art. Grow up in Christ. That's what we're talking about this year. The basic foundational truths are in place. Turning your back on salvation by self-help, turning in trust toward God, baptismal instructions, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. God helping us will stay true to all that, but there's so much more. Let's get on with it. So, what are you going to do this year? Grow. All of us need to grow up spiritually. Amen. Second Peter 3.18 says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what I'm talking about right now is telling you that it's God's will for you to grow. Don't stay where you're at. Now, there are three stages of growth. I will have you turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2. Now, I'll say this. I, I don't want you to feel, feel, feel guilty and think, well, I'm not where I should be. There's not, no one here where they should be. <laughs> We're all in the process of growing. So don't leave, you know, condemning yourself. Just leave with the attitude I'm going to grow. Amen. Now, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12, it says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. And I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I've written to you, fathers, because you've known him who's from the beginning. I've written to you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, I want to read to you. I, I told you last week, this is besides the word of God. And you'll, you might laugh, but this is one of the most. This book has influenced me more than any book that I've read in 30 years as a minister. And it's written by a guy named David Ravenhill. Leonard was his father, and he was a, a Christian author. But he says this about the three stages of spiritual growth in the life of a believer. We're not saved to stagnate. Conversion, conversion is not a goal. It is a gateway. We're to progress from strength to strength, from glory to glory. Three groups which represent these three stages in the life of the believer are addressed that I just read to you in 1 John, children who represent salvation, young men who represent maturation, and fathers who represent consummation. Then he goes on and he defines these three groups. Children, the Christian life is meant to be progressive. Conversion is the starting place, not the stopping place. It's wonderful to know our sins are forgiven. It's fantastic to discover that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Nothing surpasses the reality of God's presence dwelling within us and of our becoming partakers of his divine nature. No wonder the writer of Hebrews calls this so great a salvation. Yet conversion is merely the beginning of the new life we're to experience in Christ. You hear that? 
A spiritual child, like a natural infant, has many deficiencies. He lacks strength, wisdom, insight, and purpose. His world largely, largely revolves around his own needs and desires. Got awful quiet. Others must spend vast amount of time catering to his well-being, for he demands almost constant attention and protection. His ability to give is limited, and his demands are limitless. Does that sound like a child? A child's satisfaction, as Paul told the Corinthians, is derived from childish things. Tragically today, as in Paul's days, the church is overrun with spiritual children, most of them content to live as babes, demanding constant pampering and attention. Having little regard for the needs of others, let alone the purposes of God. Most of us can recall the awkwardness of making the transition from childhood into adolescence in the human realm, bodies changing, minds expanding, relationships becoming more complex, responsibilities increasing. With so many personal changes taking place, those years can become some of the most difficult of our lives. But if we're ever to make the transition to the next stage, in the spiritual realm, change, everyone say change, as difficult and uncomfortable as it may seem will be a part of that process. If we do not wish to remain children, we must be willing to let go of the old and embrace the new. We have, all have areas in our life we don't want to make change, but we, we're going to have to. The next one is young man. Next, John addresses the young man, those who have left behind their childishness, no longer satisfied with kid stuff. They realize there's more. Not content to remain immature, they hunger for the Word of God. As the process of maturation continues, they become strong, committed, and steadfast. Maturity is measured not by the absence of problems in our lives, but how we handle them. Upon entering this second stage, believers become aware of the spiritual conflict in which they're engaged. Unlike young children who are largely spared from conflicts, young men and women must now rise up and conquer. They cannot be swayed by conflicts and circumstances. As a very wise woman once observed, so many of God's people are like thermometers, constantly changing depending on their environment. Others are like thermostats, constant and consistent regardless of their circumstances. Now ask yourself, which one are you? You don't have to tell me. God is desirous that people rise above their circumstances and learn to live consistent, victorious lives in the strength that He alone supplies. And finally, Father's consummation. Having looked at children and young men, we now focus our attention upon the fathers. I've wondered why John wrote so little about this particular category. He offers specific statements about children, such as your sins are forgiven, you and you have known the Father. To the young man, he says, you have overcome the wicked one and you are strong and the word of God abides in you. But to the fathers, John says only, you have known him who's from the beginning. How does this differ from children who also have known the Father? The child, because of his limited understanding, knows God simply as Father. Having experienced his love, Forgiveness, provision, and protection, the child is happy and content to be showered with the father's attention. He thinks the father exists solely to satisfy his personal needs. What then does John mean when he says that the fathers know him? 
I believe John is referring to a deep revelation and understanding of God. Just as a wife knows her husband in a greater capacity than their children know him, so the fathers know God with deeper intimacy and insight than do the spiritual children. Have you ever noticed that John uses the phrase from the beginning more than any other biblical writer? He opens his first epistle with, what was from the beginning? John introduces his gospel with, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John begins the book of Revelation with, him who is and who was and who is to come. Perhaps the key to understanding what John is saying regarding fathers lies therein. John sees God as both the Alpha and Omega the beginning and the end. It is impossible to see things from God's perspective unless we know what, is, what was in his mind and purpose from the beginning. The fathers have experienced salvation and maturation, but they have also progressed to know and understand the mind of God regarding his purpose for their lives and for the church as it relates to his eternal plan. That is why I chose the word consummation to describe spiritual fathers. Succinctly put, Consummation means completion or fulfillment. In other words, God sees the whole, not just the parts. In other words, if we're going to grow and we're going to be spiritual fathers, which we should all become, we see the whole big picture. Amen? In other words, God sees the whole, not just the parts. Only as we begin to understand what was in the mind of God from the beginning will, be, will we be able to recognize many of the perils of immaturity and avoid the errors and shortcomings of the unbalanced teaching that has become so prevalent in the church today. Understanding what God had in mind from the beginning also helps us gain a clear perspective on current issues and situations. Take, for example, an incident from the life of Christ. When the Pharisees asked Jesus what he thought about divorce, he did not spout the results of the latest opinion poll. Instead, he immediately began relating the issue to the purpose God originally had in mind from the beginning. He said, it has not been this way. Jesus was spiritually mature. He understood the mind, ways, and purposes of the Father God. In a day of situation ethics, decaying morals, and no absolutes, we have a desperate need for fathers in the church. Spiritually mature men and women, people who understand the mind and purpose of God as it pertains to His eternal plan, people who are not caught up in the cross-currents of popular trends, but who cry out for reality in their relationship with God, people who, have, who having found the the pearl of great price are willing to give it all up to own it. Now, we're all, at, as I said, we're all at different levels. Amen. But Paul said this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, but I, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. This year, everyone say this year is a year to put away childish things and to grow. Amen? Now, I won't turn there for the sake of time. In John 15, it talks about Jesus, of course, being the vine and we're the branches. And what are we supposed to do, folks? What's a disciple do? He bears fruit. Everyone say, produce fruit. Disciples produce fruit. Abiding in the Word will lead to spiritual growth, maturity, and bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. 
And see, that fruit just isn't for you. That fruit's for others in the body. That fruit is for the world that's out there. They need to see that Christ-like character in our lives. Amen. Now, there are more than one enemy that you'll face when it comes to your spiritual growth. But I'm going to give you what I believe is the number one enemy. Anybody got an idea? Thank you. You won. Flesh. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Father God wants us to grow. And I I say this, I say it by faith, I believe we're all going to grow spiritually this year. All of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. Now we'll find out what carnal people are like. For where there, where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Now, I looked for a definition of carnality. And I remembered I had um, some teaching from a guy named Bob Yandian. He's a great, great Bible teacher. So I'm going to read to you his definition of carnality. I want you to know here today, I even struggle with my flesh. Do you struggle with your flesh? We're not going to get into all that. But I want to encourage you, we can get beyond our flesh. This is how he defines carnality. The word carnal means meaty, fleshly. When a Christian is carnal, his flesh is controlling him. The carnal Christian is... I know you're all thinking when I go to every day to get my Casey's Donuts. Well, I haven't beat that one yet. It's still my flesh controlling me. The carnal Christian is one who simply either has not had their minds renewed with the word of God, or they have allowed the world to influence and dominate their thinking. I don't have the the new kind of phone, so I can't get it out. I've got one of these. The wife's got the new one. Boy, she's... I'm an old man. But... How many of you have ever seen in the course of a day's time somebody looking at their phone? Raise your hand. How about when you're driving down the road? Now, you two young girls from Northeast, you never do that, do you? (laughs) I'm not coming back here. The preacher picked on me. But we allow the world, he says, to influence and dominate our thinking, speech, and actions rather than God's word. There's no difference. Now, listen, there's no difference between a carnal Christian and a sinner from outward appearances. So when you act carnal and you're ruled by your flesh, you can't tell the difference between a Christian, amen, and a sinner. In fact, many times it's easier to deal with a sinner than a carnal Christian. When we walk in carnality, there's no way to distinguish us from the sinners walking in the world. And I bet you'll agree with me. I've, you've helped people. I know you have through the years. Tough backgrounds. Sinners. Were there times you, when you look back as a pastor, and you've been a pastor as long as I have been, 
that sometimes it was easier dealing with them than church folk that had been in the church, religious for a time being. They, they can give you a fight once in a while. But sinners sometimes, they're hungry. If, you, if they see that you're the real deal, they'll sit and listen to you. But a lot of times people in the church that have been there for so many years and they're sitting and they're still sitting in their own pew. <laughs> Amen? They don't want to change. So it's hard to distinguish them from, this, from sinners walking the world. Sin prevents us from operating spiritually. Your ability to hear the Holy Spirit is blocked when you're walking in carnality or in the flesh. Carnal Christians cannot take meat. So I'm, I'm, I pause because I want you to realize how important taking meat in, the meat of God's Word. You know, I'm going to give you some meat this year. I, I hope, I believe I've given the body of Christ meat all the years, 30 plus years, but this year, you're going to get more meat. And this year, there's going to be more required of you. I just lost six people right there. When a Christian becomes carnal, he begins to regress. In the Christian life, we're never stationary. We're either advancing or regressing in our walk with the Lord. When we're in fellowship with the Lord and taking in His Word, we are moving forward. Say, I'm moving forward this year. I will not regress. But when we're out of fellowship, the devil may deceive us into thinking we're progressing, but we're in fact regressing. So you can show up here every Sunday and think you're growing spiritually, and in all reality, you're not. Just coming to church on Sunday doesn't make you spiritual. What do you do every day of the week? Are you in the Word? Are you in prayer? Are you seeking the Father and His kingdom? See? Why should you and I, I'll ask you this, I'm almost done. Why should you and I grow our spiritual inheritance? Why should I grow spiritually? We've already answered, if you were alert this morning, to be a blessing to others. You and I have a, a mandate from God to grow spiritually, not stay the same, but to grow so we can give and sow into the lives of other people. That's God's commandment for us. If you're going to be a true disciple of Christ, then you're going to work at growing and gaining knowledge, wisdom, and understanding so you can deposit it in some, into somebody else. You and I as believers have a mandate from God to grow spiritually so we can give that spiritual wealth to future generations. This, this next scripture I'm going to read to you is a good scripture. And, and years and years ago, how many have ever struggled financially? 
there were years early on in the ministry when we were in debt, and a lot of it was my own fault, but I made stupid mistakes. But I never, ever dreamed that, you know, I thought this scripture could come true for me. But years and years ago, I made this my goal, and I've told other older people the same scripture. It's Proverbs 13 and verse 22. And I, this is from a natural point. I, it, it's talking about money. But it says this, A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Did you hear that? A good man leaves what? An inheritance to your grandchildren. You're going to have kids someday? You've got to get a wife. Get married, have kids. I'm waiting on the other son. But your grandkids, it will be in paper. It'll be official. We'll get money from your mom and I. How come you look, does that mean, you don't look very happy. You'll get something too. You can have the guns. But, but you see, a good man, and if you're a good man and you're a mature believer, you not only leave money, but you can leave your spiritual wealth. Amen? See that guy right there and that lady right there? You should spend time with them. Not just to, to hunt or do other things, but you will glean wisdom from them. You don't, you don't realize, but you will someday. You'll look back of your spiritual heritage that you have. Grandparents serve God. Your parents serve God. And you will serve God. And your children will serve God. Because you'll have a, here, this is for you, a beetle. You're going to have something to give, give it to your kids and sow it into your, your, your grandchildren. Amen? There must come a point in your Christian walk when you die to self and realize it's not just about you anymore. And when you're young, you don't think that way. And sad to say, there are a lot of people. Amen? We were talking the other day. And I know you two have talked about this, I, I would think. Through the years, the P, it's church sometimes like a revolving door. I am a blessed man, a blessed pastor, because I got a good, solid group. I don't have a mega church, but and you've got people you, in your church that you know you can trust, and they're there to serve you. But, you know, we were talking about this, and don't take this wrong, but there's some people that are not here today, and I'm glad they're not here today. You're thinking about that. But they didn't want to grow. They were a liability to the body of, of Christ and to the church itself. They caused trouble and strife and problems. And they were a grief for me to work with because they didn't want to change. Children do not want to change. Now, you should put your chest out and feel pretty good because I'm here today and I, I want to change. I want to grow. 
That doesn't mean I don't love them. doesn't mean God doesn't love them. But I'm glad they're gone. I didn't want them to be gone. I mean, I want them to grow. I want them to change. I want them to mature. But a lot, some of them just decide they didn't want to. And I look back today, a lot of them aren't even in church. And that's sad. It's not about just you. It's about others. I'm going to end with this. I know I read to you a lot today, but it's good stuff. See, I have something to give the next generation. And the only way you're going to be able to give to the next generation is if you make a decision to grow spiritually. He says, if we could, I'll close with this. If we could scan the pews and pulpits of churches. Now, that's not today, so that's not you. This is about other people. Amen? If we could scan, we have no pews here anyway, so it doesn't apply. Now, if I said we could scan the chairs, but I didn't, did I? So just relax. If we could scan the pews and pulpits of churches and see beyond believers' adult-sized bodies into their stunted dwarf spirits, fixated in various states of immaturity as the Heavenly Father sees them, could we endure it? If we ever caught a glimpse of of our selfish, shriveled hearts, could we stand it? Toddlers behind pulpits. See, I'm not just picking on you. Be whiskered deacons sucking pacifiers. Colicky choir members clutching security blankets and demanding their own way. Gray-haired grandfathers struggling to learn their spiritual ABCs. Giggling, pimply-faced grandmothers. (laughs) Fatigued leaders, spoon-feeding, pampered parishioners, glowering, Businessmen clutching their wallets and the keys to their Mercedes, pouting because they've been asked to share. Pablum, pampers, potty training. It's enough to make the angels weep. A friend of mine who, after years of study, had just graduated from seminary with her doctorate, was given a special word from the Lord as she sat quietly worshiping in a Sunday morning service. Although her eyes were closed, she saw suddenly a picture of a girl about eight or nine years of age wearing pigtails and a little plaid dress with a white collar, cradling her school books in one arm and waiting for the school bus. Instantly, she recognized the little girl as herself. Recalling having seen the exact photograph in one of her mother's old family picture albums. Then the Lord spoke these words. You've sat at the feet of men. Now I am enrolling you in the school of my spirit and you will be taught of the Lord. I believe that that is also God's word to many of us. God is calling us to lay aside our childish playthings and come and sit at his feet for spiritual maturity is achieved. Not by striving after education, a ministry, or possession. Now, this is a good statement. But by longing for God and learning to linger in His presence. If hungering after intimacy with God is this book's single most important lesson, 
then perhaps the second most important lesson is that personal character is crucial. Holy living is not optional. We've seen how God is shaking the church today because leaders and laity have not taken seriously His command to be holy, for I am holy. Mature believers are God-fearing believers. Spirituality, morality, and unselfish service go hand in hand. Growing in Christ means growing in self-control. It means restraining the flesh's desire to indulge in sins such as lust, greed, and the pursuit of power. Nothing about Casey's Donuts in that statement. It means loving others enough to weep and intercede for their needs. It means guarding and guiding the younger ones in our midst by becoming spiritual mentors. It means overflowing celebration celebration out of a pure heart. It means taking the starving by the hand and showing them where we have found bread. A very real conflict is raging between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. All around us stumble the bruised, the bleeding, and the broken. But warfare isn't kids' stuff. Ministry isn't child's play. It's time to let God pry our fingers away from the treasured playthings of the past. Placing our chubby fingers in his strong hand, it's time to enroll in the school of God's spirit and learn his will and his holy wise ways. It's time to serve God's purposes in our generation. It's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Let's stand on our feet. There's a psalm, Psalm 45 and verse 16 at And it talks about it's not the fathers anymore, but it's the sons. And there comes a point where, especially as you grow older, I thought about that the other day. I thought if I were, if I died, did my life matter? Did I leave a legacy of any kind to anybody? Did anything I do that I that I accomplished in my years of ministry did it make a difference? You know, God knows. But I I want to challenge you today. I really want all of you to search your hearts and ask yourself the question, am I growing spiritually? I'm not going to have you raise hands. I'm not going to lay hands on you because I can't. That doesn't work. <laughs> I can't lay hands on you, on you to grow, you know, grow up. It's up to you. And I've known people that have grown old and they're still spiritual children. And that is sad. It shouldn't be that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, say this with me. Father, I thank you that you're a God of mercy and you love me with unconditional love. But when you look at me, you see me as a child of God, growing, spiritually mature, bearing fruit for the kingdom of God and influencing the world for Jesus. 
Father, I desire to grow. Help me, Holy Spirit, to study the Word more. Have an unction and obey that unction to pray more. Help me, Lord, see the importance of being in the church every time the doors are open. I want to be used of you. Holy Spirit, help me grow. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you mean that prayer? I believe you did. So there's hope for all of us, isn't there? I'll tell you, let me ask, does everyone here know Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay. Does anyone here today need prayer for your physical body for healing? Baby? Quiet baby. What's going on? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord. You said we could lay hands on the sick and they'd recover. These are my hands and they're on your child. I bind up infirmity and viruses in Jesus' name and I lose healing and health and a full supernatural recovery. Amen. See, it works, doesn't it? Yeah. You're wide awake. And I rebuke infirmity over your entire household in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes. Oh, that's good. What? Okay, then there's something serious. Okay, what's your first name? Father, we come in agreement as she stands for her friend, for Anita, in Jesus' name. We curse infirmity over Anita in Jesus' name. We bind it up. And, Lord, we ask you, Lord, for your mercy and healing anointing flow through her body. We command her body to come in line with God's word in Jesus' name. Amen. You receive the anointing. That's good. Amen. She's lucky to have a friend like you. Amen. Well, we got children here, young adults or fathers. Don't answer. Say, I'm just growing. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Have a good week. Remember prayer on Wednesday night.